Why don't we go ahead and start this show out from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly. This is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Feel free to share it with your uh, friends and your fishing partners. Sharing it is a big deal. That's what gets us out there probably more than anything. But uh, also, if you want to subscribe or follow, that's helpful too. So you'll be the first to know whenever an episode drops. And if you find value in the podcast and you want to uh, give back, if you just drop by the southeast by southeasternfly.com and click on the store, you can purchase a hat or a T-shirt. And uh, that's what... That's really what keeps this thing going. So who are our guests today on this Wisdom from the Guides episode? First guest, you've heard him before. He's a longtime inshore captain. He fishes in the waters in and around Beaufort, South Carolina. He and I served on the Fly Fishing International Virtual Expo panel. And uh, he was also a guest on episode 44 about fishing for redfish on, in the low country. He books trips out of Bay Street Outfitters in historic Beaufort, South Carolina. Please welcome back to the podcast, Captain Tony Welch. Tony, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I think this is a uh, we talked the other day, and you've got some you've got some good good things to talk about uh, on this uh, on this episode. And I'll tell you where this episode came back in a minute. But first, I want to talk about uh, our second guest here. I've known this guy all my life, ever since day one. Uh, he's a whole lot of adventures in the outdoors. He's a fisherman and he's a hunter. He lives just outside of Shelby Forest, Tennessee, or near Shake Rag. He's also my uncle. He's my only uncle. Please welcome to the podcast, Bo Holly. Bo, thanks for stopping by. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me, and uh, hopefully we'll give some good information tonight and entertain. Oh, we'll do that. If nothing else, that's going to happen. <laughs> sure. Our third guest is a professional guide who uh, owns Teleco Outfitters in Teleco Plains, Tennessee. He fishes and guides the Teleco Rivers and the tributaries. Uh, he was our guest on episode 51. Please welcome back to the podcast, Cody Fisher. Cody, thanks for stopping by, man. Hey, Dave. Thank you for having me back again. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we got a full panel here, including me, which uh, I think I'll just, I think I'm just the one that's going to keep this topic rolling is about all I'm going to be here to do. But, uh, but I do want to tell you how our, this topic for this episode originated. So I was fishing out in Colorado and I was fishing the Colorado, going to fish the Colorado. When we got to the takeout, where we were going to take out, we were going to want to get the shuttle. We were going to have to go through that, go upstream. And whenever we got there, there was a traffic jam because they were doing road work on a bridge. And so the guide was said, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to switch things around. We're going to put in where we were going to take out and then we're going to take out downstream. And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. That makes sense. You know, it's about the same float and everything. And I just, you know, whenever I go out and do that, I, I especially if I'm not going to go back and refish something, you know, if I don't say, hey, I'm going to, I'm looking for something to fish. If I'm just wanting to just get out on a boat, then I'm pretty much game for anything. Anyway, he said, I, I got to call the shuttle. And he said, I don't have cell signal. So I looked at my phone. I was like, yeah, you know what? I don't have any cell signal either. That's, uh, that's crazy. And uh, he said, that's okay. I'll just use the pay. F I'll just use the phone down there at the ramp. I said, is there a pay phone down there or something? He said, no, it's just a phone. And I was like, that's weird. I've never seen a ramp with just a phone, you know, that you can just pick up and call. And uh, he said, well, there's, there's no signal out here. I don't have one. You don't have one. Nobody has one out here where we are. I said, well, that's odd, but that, that's a good thing, but it's an odd thing. And I said, why, why do they supply a phone? 
And he said, David, it ain't Disneyland. I was like, eh, good point. Yeah, it's not Disneyland. Either. So we've all been in uncomfortable situations in the outdoors. That phone was put there because someone was put in an uncomfortable situation without cell phone service somewhere back through the years at some ramp somewhere or someplace that needed a phone where you could pick up and call for help, which is basically what that phone yeah. was. But you could dial any number. You know, you could do the 911 thing and all that. So it's not always just snakes and bear, bears and maybe the odd hillbilly that causes you a problem or that comes to mind. A lot of times there are things that can change a day and sometimes can change your, your life, some life-changing experiences. So today we're going to talk about some of those situations that have done just that, that maybe have changed the way you think, maybe changed the way that you do things, or maybe it was a life-changing event that, that uh, you weren't expecting or I wasn't expecting, or someone on this panel wasn't expecting, and it changed the way that they look at everything. And and I don't want to get too wrapped around Axel about this. I just want to say that I hope that you learned something from some of these stories and some of these experiences that that the four of us have had. Not just make sure that you're aware of how deep the mud is on the ramp. That's not it. And make sure that, you know, that your buddy that's following you in the other boat is aware that you're slowing down and he's not doing something different uh, while you're while you think he's paying attention. There are other things to watch out for. So I want to start with Cody. So some of you are aware and some of you are not. It's not it's not always bears and boars and deep water and shallow water. Sometimes the dangers can be sometimes they can come out of what you would think are nowhere. Everything has to come from somewhere, but sometimes you think, well, that, where, where'd that come from? So let's start with Cody. Cody, I want to talk, talk with you because you do mostly walk and wade trips in the Appalachians, mainly in, in, uh, around, uh, the Cherokee national forest. And and you've been in a situation, we talked about this the other night, you've been in a situation that others could learn from, from the outdoors. So Cody, let's start with you and just. Tell us what happened in that situation, and then I'll follow up. All right. Are we talking uh, hail or hornets? Hornets. Hornets. <laughs> hail or hornets? Oh, hail or hornets. Yeah. Uh, that's like hell or high water, right? It so really is. Yeah, exactly. Version. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, there's not really a year that goes by that I don't get stung by yellow jackets hornets uh there's other critters out here that'll sting you there's uh we didn't talk about this earlier but there's uh some caterpillars called um pack saddles i don't know if you've heard of them um i had a run in with one of those too and if you've never been stung before there's really a moment of panic when you're gonna find out pretty soon if you're allergic or not and you really hope you're not allergic and you know far from any kind of, of medical help so first and foremost, before I go any further, anybody that's listening, definitely, you know, if you are allergic, go prepared. Or if you think you might be allergic, you know, take precautions. EpiPen, uh, ibuprofen at the very least to help mitigate any kind of swelling. But a lot of folks come into the shop and I never get questions about hornets or yellow jackets. I always get questions about copperheads, rattlesnakes, bears, boars. All those are real things that you got to look out for in the Appalachians, but by and large, the main thing you're going to probably encounter is going to be yellow jackets and hornets. They tend to make their nests in rotting logs, sometimes in the middle of the trails. Uh, they tend to 
hornets, which are bald-faced hornets and not native to the U.S., are actually from uh, from Europe. They'll make nests in head-high trees sometimes. And uh, if you're focused on the ground, focused on the water, not watching where you're walking, where you're casting, you can easily run headlong into one of those. As one of my guides found out not once but twice this year, you know, you don't want to come, you know, head-to-head with some football-sized, you know, angry nest full of hornets that's uh not going to be a good outcome for you so so uh, you know definitely watch where you're going watch your step and watch the trees above you and uh and definitely look out for hornets because they will definitely ruin your day at the very least so have you stepped in a hornets or i'm sorry yellow jacket nest before i did yep so i was actually not fishing that time now if you're wearing waders and all that you got some protection but this was in the dead of summer one of my buddies was fishing on the river. I was, I just was wearing my, you know, casual sneakers and light trail pants and thought I was going to go down and say hey to him and um, then work my way back up the road. So I could just cut through the brush to uh, get back up to the road and happened to be going through a briar patch. So I was kind of easily picking my way through. And pretty soon I felt this little tap on the back of my leg and a tap on my shoulder and neck and didn't take me long to figure out what was going on. And I'll tell you what, I've never gotten through a briar patch that quickly. I didn't know that was possible. But I just, I lit, I think I jumped vertically, you know, about seven foot up, hit the road and just took off like Usain Bolt about, uh, you know, 100 yards as fast as I could run. So, you know, I had enough experience before that once I felt that little pinprick, I knew exactly what that was. So I got out of there as fast as I could. But yeah, there, you know, not every danger out there is, you know, 300 pounds of claws and teeth. You know, sometimes they're, half an inch long with a, you know, mean little attitude. Mm -hmm. I have stepped in a a yellow jackets nest, uh, on Lynn camp up Lynn camp. Uh, so don't ever go up there. Nobody needs to go up there except for me. Uh, (laughs) nothing but hornets hornets and wild boars up there. Uh, it's rattlesnakes, big ones. But, uh, anyway, we, uh, we had been fishing and I, I stepped in a hornet's nest. I stepped out of the river and whenever I reached back to get my rod, I took another step and I stepped right in that hornet's nest. And two things I remember one, they didn't get up. I was wet waiting, uh, had some, some, uh, choda boots, some old choda boots and a pair of hunting socks on that were kind of had slid down. And, uh, I was in blue jean shorts. I bet I looked like a sight then. I probably stuck out like a sore thumb with all the other people that were fishing up in the Smokies that day, but they didn't get above my shorts and they didn't get below my hunting socks. They just clung to my leg and started biting. And I thought, well, I'm going to jump in the river and they'll quit biting. Well, they don't, they keep biting even though they're underwater. Uh, So if they're on your leg, when you jump in the water or on you, when you jump in the water, you had to take the time to pick them off before it stops, before they stop stinging you. So that, that, that was a couple things I learned. One is wet waiting is really nice, especially, you know, early summer and summer, but you better be careful where you, where you walk and watch what you're doing. Cause it makes it, it can make a long day. My buddy, my buddy was with me. Barry said, uh, gosh, are you ready to go home? It was probably about 10 o'clock in the morning. I said, no, absolutely not. Cause it, you know, we were catching a bunch of fish. I wasn't going to ruin it. So I just, suffered through the day and at the end of the day we did get an ice cream though so that made it all worth it but but uh yeah it was it was good it was uh the ice cream was outstanding but i had 
I had those places on my legs and, and Cody, I don't know if you had these places on you where you were stung, but they lasted. I swear they were there for two months. Just yeah, little, yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. The sting, the sting is one thing. And first time I, I experienced it, you know, there's a little bit of, little bit of discomfort, but I thought, oh man, this isn't as bad as I would have thought it would have been. You know, it's just, you get a little heat and you get a little, little sting, but it wasn't until probably two or three days later when that itch started yes. setting in off you. It's the swelling and the itch. Yes. I had to Google it. I had to Google. It. I was actually kind of worried, you know, I'd never had experienced that before. And, you know, it says it can last from seven days to a week. So, you know, they, they, uh, they get their point across, you know, they don't, they don't let you forget not to step in their <laughs> neck again. You know, that's a good gift that keeps on giving for a couple of weeks at least. That's a good way to put it. They don't let you forget. That's for sure. So, like you said, bears, uh, snakes is the first thing I, uh, everybody knows. Snakes is the first thing. I don't like snakes. Bears are okay because you should usually see the back of them. Boars, totally different story. Uh, there's a lot of those up there where you're at, Tony. I know up in uh, all those areas. So you really kind of got to be aware of those. But that's that's a danger. You know, yellow jackets, hornets, all that stuff in the, in the mountains. That's a big deal. But if you turn around and you look at like Tony, Tony has a completely different situation uh, in a lot of ways. One, he's not a he's not a walking wade angler. He's a boating boating guide. He doesn't have to worry quite as much because he's out in the middle, usually in the on the in the marsh or out on off the beaches and stuff. So he's not probably worried as much about some of the things. But there are worries that you have to be concerned about or things that you have to be concerned about, Tony, that that maybe a walking wade guy might not think about, but I guarantee a boating guy, especially someone with a motor, my boat, my boat's got oars. So I don't worry too much about motors, but you know, dangerous boats can be dangerous, especially with the motor, which can make unexpected things happen. But then you add in to me, you add in and I'm not well versed in salt. Like a lot of folks that listen are that live around the coast. Then you add salt water into it and it comes into a whole different situation you told us earlier it's too windy really to go out today where you are over in Beaufort, which is a whole other thing. Wind is a whole other thing. But, you know, let's talk about the day that maybe you had some bad weather that we were talking about the other day. And you, you had a client that, I, I don't know, didn't particularly want to go out that day, but you wanted to or you did. Yeah, absolutely. So this, I mean, it's kind of a, a a little bit of a longer story to kind of get it set up. But, I mean, we do have to worry about some of those things um uh yellow jackets and, and and that sort of thing just when we're trying to avoid that those uh that wind um but on this particular day that we're going to talk about um we'll kind of set it up the day before i was in a I, I run mostly fly charters but was running um was going to be running some some light tackle stuff later on in the week so i stopped by a tackle store uh i overheard some people talking about trolling for trout which you know being a guide, it's not something that I've, I've really ever done, but, you know, just, it just kind of piqued my interest when I was hearing them talk about it. So it just, it just, you know, it was just one of those things that kind of stuck with me. was going out the, uh, the next day. Uh, the next day was, was really windy. Um, usually what I do is I, I start the day at the landing, meet my client there, and we take off from there. But this particular client likes likes things the way she likes things, and so she wanted to be picked up from her private dock, which is which is totally fine. It's 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 what we do. But to get to her dock on this windy day, uh, with the way that wind was set up and with the way that the tide was running, there was really no way I could get to her. So I, I did my best. 
but with the way the the wind was pretty much blowing straight down the pipe, I took a wave straight over the front of the boat, turned sideways, took another wave over the side and, you know, reached out to her and said, you know, Hey, I can't, I can't make this work. If you can meet me at the landing, you know, I can, I can try to make something work on the fly. And she, she didn't want to do it. So I just, if I was already on the water. So I said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go out and scout on my own. And, and sort of that is to, you know, some of that is to, to prove that I, I still have a little bit left in the tank. And, you know, so I was going to make a, a, a pretty good day out of a, a, you know, pretty bad condition. So I went out and looked uh, for fish. When I'm scouting by myself, even if it's, you know, when I'm scouting, I, usually I'm scouting for fly stuff. But I, to scout for that fly stuff, pulling a boat, um, it's easier for me to have a spinning rod with me. And what I try to do is find fish, cast to those fish. If I get them to eat a soft plastic of a particular color, I know that I can probably fool them on a fly of, of something very similar. So I'll, I'll kind of cast to them. Uh, if they eat it, um, then I'll rest the rest of the school and go look for something else. First group of fish I found on that windy day, I blew the cast big time because I didn't play the wind. And this sort of sets up for the story later on. But I, uh, I, I blew... I blew the shot based on the wind, uh, looked for other fish, finally was able to dial that wind in just right, picked through some fish and, you know, felt pretty good about the day, started to drive home. And when, you know, that for whatever reason, that story about the um, it being in the bait store the day before, hearing about people trolling for trout, I said, you know, I, I really should try to do this. So I spent a lot longer than I should have trying to troll for trout. Finally. Uh, after probably about an hour and a half of, of adjusting things in a, in a place where I know I could catch trout, I finally caught my first and my last trout that I've ever trolled for. And I probably will never do that again in my life. <laughs> but, you know, needless to say, started to get back to the, to the landing. It was still incredibly windy, just a, just a really cold day, cold December day. Um, water temperature was probably 50 degrees that day. As I'm pulling into the landing that day, um, I look over to my left and there's a gentleman, he's fishing some docks there. In, in December, that's a very typical thing. We call it docks and rocks, fishing fishing that structure for those fish. Um, so I, I park the boat, get out, back my truck down. And as I'm getting out of my truck to go load the boat up, I look in the middle of the river and, you know, I see the one thing that, you know, boaters just don't want to see. And that's a, that's a boat doing donuts in the middle of the, in the middle of the river. And so when you see that, you know that somebody has had the throttle down. In this particular instance, it was a tiller steer boat and it had the tensioner set. So the so the the throttle would run even when his hand was off of the off the throttle. And he obviously was not wearing his kill switch. And, you know, sometimes they, the people will slide it around their wrist and maybe it could have slipped out. You know, that's it's not for me to to say one way or the other. But I saw that I jumped in my boat and kind of hustled out there to where he was and i don't know if you've ever seen a dog the first time you ever throw him in the water whether it's a you know you're doing retriever training or whatever um but this gentleman that's all that's the only thing that i could i could think of you know is that he looked like a dog the first time you ever threw him in water it was almost like he was trying to get his back legs out of the water on that cold day also another thing that'll stick with me for the rest of my life was that i could hear his breathing over the sound of his outboard doing donuts and my outboard as I'm running out there, I could hear him gasping for air. 
and I've, I've been boating for, or, or been fishing for, for probably 20 years, 25 years now in the low country. And I carry, you know, it's, it's coast guard mandated, carry a throwable in the, uh, in the boat at all times. Uh, and it's always just been a seat cushion up until that day. Um, it was not a seat cushion. Uh, I reached down in there, I grabbed my throwable and this goes back to it just being one of those lucky days where it's windy and I get a chance to scout. And when I was scouting, I missed the first few fish because of the wind. When I threw that, that throwable, I, I mean, it was perfect. It was a, a perfect throw. It hit him right in, in his chest. Um, but I had to throw it, you know, I started it really far out to the right and it just drifted right back in. But once he caught it, it, the tide was, the tide was running pretty hard, um, that day, which is typical for, uh, around here in the low country. So it kind of slowed him up from what he was doing. He was sort of keeping the same pace as that, the boat. Um, but once he caught it, he kind of, it was almost like he froze in time and the boat started to catch up with him. Mm. I really couldn't jump in there after him. Uh, I didn't know what would happen. So what I did is I took the push pole out of the boat stuck it in his face as I'm driving past him and drug him away from the boat that's, you know, he had fallen out of and then finally was able to, to pull him in the boat. But, you know, there was a lot of things from the, from the conversation I heard, you know, at the tackle shop, you know, the, the, the day before from, you know, a, a, a client just not wanting to meet me at a landing would rather, you know, would rather scrap the whole trip than, do all that to, to sticking it out there to, um, to, you know, being able to play the wind and know what the, what the wind was doing. It, it just really wasn't that guy's guy's day to go. You know, he was, he was being looked after that day, in my opinion, you know, I, I don't know what would have happened if I wasn't there, but I'm, I'm just really glad that I was. If you hadn't been there, the guy on the, think about the, the guy on the, on the dock that you were talking about, if he would have caught, caught his eye and, you know, what's he going to do? Nothing. Maybe make a yeah. call, call yeah. the call the rescue squad or something to come and get him. And how long is that guy going to be able to stand that cold water? Yeah. And with it, and with being as, as, you know, cold as it was and windy as it was, I mean, it, it's South Carolina. I understand the coast. I understand. So it, it, it may not resonate with how cold it was, but when it's blowing and it's, and it's cold and it's humid, and you're out there on the water. I mean, this guy was dressed up in hunting bibs and he had a, you know, he had the full Carhartt jacket on. I mean, the guy weighed less than me. I'm, I'm positive, but I mean, when I pulled him in the boat with his, with his boots, with his bibs, with his jacket on, I, I swear the guy weighed like 300 pounds. I've never, yeah. I've never pulled so hard in my life. Yeah. A little bit of adrenaline, adrenaline there too. Wasn't oh, there absolutely. 100%. Yeah, I've had that. I've had that before, where there's just so much adrenaline going that you could do something you didn't think you could do, and it, it's really true. You don't just see that on TV. It's it's the truth. You really can do things that there was no way you thought you'd ever be able to do. So, how did you get the boat? How did I see this boat going around? Did it finally run out of gas, or what happened there? We were at a bridge. It. I tried to. What I tried to do is I tried to cast. Uh, I had, I had spinning gear in the boat, but because I had a fly client, I also had a bunch of fly gear in the boat. I tried to cast into where that boat was doing those donuts. And I tried to get that floating fly line wrapped up in the propeller. So it would um, at least spin that hub once so much of it got on there, but could really never time it just right. But what happened was 
the EMS uh, finally made it to the boat landing. I got one of them on the boat and the gentleman tried to get close to it, but I didn't want one boat hitting my boat. So um, we, we found some oystermen that had a, um, that had an aluminum boat and they were able to run their boat into that boat. And then one person was able to get out uh, yeah. and kill the outboard. Wow. So what did the guy do? Whatever you, whatever you were trying to get his boat, was he down in the bottom of your floor? Oh, uh, the guy, I, I'm pretty sure the guy was in shock when I got yeah. him in. So he sat on the, uh, on the seat in the, in the middle there. And I, I think he was, I think he only spoke Spanish, but he never, he never said one word to me. He, Man. he just, he just sat there and I, I took my jacket off, um, that I had on that day. He took his jacket off. I gave him my jacket. Um, but he never, he never said one word to me. And he got to speak to, he got to speak to EMS, but he, he never said one word to me. But I, I think that was shock more than anything. Yeah, yeah, it probably was. Anytime you're in that situation, especially if it's cold and you're in there and having that kind of trouble, interesting. You could hear him breathing over everything. I don't yeah. doubt that a bit. It's almost like it's it's so weird. It's almost like time stood still, and I could hear him just. I mean, it was these huge breaths, and I'll, I'll never, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Yeah. So the coldness is something that, and. If we've got time, I might talk about something that happened with me, but and somebody falling in the water or getting overtaken by water, I guess. But the coldest, it, it, it almost instantly takes the breath out of you. That's the that's the big thing. Absolutely, it takes the breath out of you, and when and when you can't breathe correctly, your muscles aren't going to function correctly. I mean, you've got very limited time for your muscles to function correctly in in cold conditions. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Bo, this brings us to you, and I'm going to go ahead and I'll set this up just from my perspective, and then I'm going to let you take that over. A couple more things I want to touch on, Cody and, and Tony, uh, after after we talked to Bo for a minute, but I remember this situation, Bo, because it affected you, my grandfather, uh, one of the friends of the family that I knew pretty well because they lived up the street from my grandfather and grandmother. And you're talking about fishing off of a off of a dike, and this also happened on the Mississippi River. And when we would we lived away from from uh, Shelby Forest, we moved when I was really young. And one of the things I loved to do more than anything when we would come in is go to the river, either just go look, stand on the ramp and look, or get on on a boat uh, on the on the on the river. And Bo, you and I have been through just a. <laughs> We've been through a little bit on the river uh, together, like boats boats breaking down and rivers rising off of sandbars when you're trying to to fish and, and camp. And it's really no place to let your guard down. But even though this is more about hunting than fishing, it still involves boats. It still involves water. And the lessons still apply. Some of the lessons still apply uh, about things that can unexpectedly happen. And I'm going to go ahead and... and kind of set this up and say that when we fish in the winter, even in the drift boat, when we fish in the winter and it's cold, we bring a little propane heater. That's that's very common for us to have a propane heater on the boat. Uh, and it doesn't run all day. It just runs when it gets cool. And, and the the lessons apply differently, but they're still the same lessons. And And somebody out there thinks, well, I don't bring a propane heater on the boat. Well, it doesn't matter. You have to be ready for pretty much everything. So I want you, Bo, I want you to talk about 
this this hunting hunting accident and i think there were five people that went hunting that day and, and only four came home so walk us through what happened on that morning and give us an idea of set it up to kind of like what were you doing what time of day was it what was the weather like what was the temperature like and just just kind of walk us through that and and people will start getting getting ideas of how it really does it really is kind of level with what what happens a lot of times in fishing yeah well let me preempt this with two things one is is i got i got seniority on everybody in this podcast <laughs> at 74 years old i've been i've fished and hunted well i fished since i was five years old with my mom and dad uh in the outdoors all over uh in mississippi lakes in the mississippi river you name it and i've hunted with my dad on the river since i was 10 so I have a lot, a lot of experience, but I'll say this about all of that experience will not prepare you for the unknown. And there is always an unknown you have to watch for in any, any circumstances, whether you're fishing like Tony and, and Cody do or, or walking through the woods, because, because there's always something out there to bite you. So this was on a, uh, on a real beautiful blue sky day uh and the weather in in that period in in 1991 january 10 was 10 degrees in the air the water where we were going to hunt had about an inch to an inch and a half of ice back in the trees in the woods which was your backdrop cover for the boat and the the floating blind we were pulling the boat in to hunt in so we go up the river that morning, the five of us, but before we left the house, we had to load all our gear in the boat, get everything ready, all our lunches and stuff like that. And we had to put the gas tanks in the boat, which weren't in the boat already. And one of the boys picked up the gas can, a six gallon mercury gas can, and slung it over the side of the gunnel of the boat, which was about five and a half foot of above the ground. Of course, he was about a six foot guy so so it wasn't a real trick for him it would have been a trick for me at five foot seven so but anyhow we put the gas in the boat and nobody noticed what happened at that moment okay so we go on and we go up the river and and the where we're hunting is in a chute off the mississippi which has always been my playground for fishing and hunting and we pull the boat up in the uh, in a floating blind which is covered with tar paper on the outside and then chicken wire and then cane big long cane poles with the leaves and stuff still on them for for the camouflage cover and you pull in you pull the doors closed behind you where the ducks can't see the back of the boat and the motor and stuff and it'll keep the boat steady where it doesn't move back and forth when you're when everybody's out up rumbling around trying to kill a duck so at any rate we're sitting there and the ducks have got to come to the river because everything in Arkansas is froze over. We knew that. Well, we get our first group of ducks come in. Well, they don't come in. They, they circle and circle and circle. And for some reason, they flared, which means they spooked and they went straight up in the air and flew away. So I looked at the boys in the boat and I said, those ducks must have seen something. So we've got to cover this boat. Well, we had a piece of material sitting in the back of the boat pretty close to the gas cans 
but it wasn't on the gas cans. It was just over, over close to them. Well, remember me telling you the boy slung the gas can over the gunnel of the boat. Well, when he did, some of the gas sloshed out of the top of the can because the lid wasn't on as tight as it probably should have been. Because you have to leave an air pocket in there or air, you know, open so you don't get suction in the tank and kill the motor when you're going up the river. At any rate, I told him, I said, well, hand me that piece of material and we'll lay it over the side of the boat and maybe the ducks won't see this, this teal blue surface on the side of this boat. Well, we also had a charcoal heater in the boat, which we had in those days we used to keep warm and to cook our grilled cheese sandwiches and stuff on at lunchtime. Well, lo and behold, when we pulled the material open, though there was gas on that material and when we popped it open to lay it over the boat well that gas fume and those the haze of the gas hit that propane that uh, charcoal and and it ignited into into a massive ball of fire right down the side of the boat right in front of all of us and naturally that you know that alarmed everybody because it happened so quick and it was such a horrendous fire you can you, you couldn't imagine unless you were there. Well, it didn't take but a few minutes, and that flame caught those canes. And when it caught those canes, then the whole blind started to blaze. Well, the only thing left to do is abandon the boat and get in the water, because otherwise we're all going to burn to death right there. Well, one of the other things that was kind of on our on my mind anyway, and everybody else, you know, as we got in the water and started talking about things, is those gas cans sitting in the back of the boat. Well, there's 12 gallons of gas sitting back there in two mercury tanks. And there's all those shotgun shells that we were going to expend on ducks. So we thought we got to get out of here. That stuff blow up and it'll kill us all. So we got in the water, took our guns. We're not sure why we ever did that, except for maybe we'd have something to signal somebody with if we needed to. And uh, we're, we're in probably 20 foot of water. And it's probably at least, 70 yards back to the bank but it's only about 30 yards to that inch and a half ice that we got to traverse to get to the bank so you you got to jump from tree to tree and trees are probably you know three or four feet apart and you you lunge at one tree to get away from the boat you're trying to get as far as you can away from that boat thinking it's going to blow up and uh, every once in a while you don't make the tree so you're gasping trying to grab the tree kind of like the guy Tony was talking about a while ago, you know, you, you got a lot of clothes on and you got waders on on top of that. And it's 10 degrees outside. I don't know what the water temperature was that day, but I can tell you this, it wasn't bathtub water. At any rate, we make it our way back as far as we can away from the boat. And we realize we're not going to get to the bank. There's no way. Well, there's a houseboat sitting less than 100 yards away right behind our boat. That, that stayed stayed there all the time. It was a good friend of ours boat. And if we could just get to that houseboat, we could get in there and light his stove and be safe. But none of us took a life jacket with us either when we jumped overboard. Another mistake we made. At any rate, luckily there were some friends of mine hunting in a bean field behind us, probably, I don't know, less than 500 yards and one of them got out to rearrange their decoys because their ducks weren't working right either and 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 break the ice because they were in a shallow pool of water. 
and you got to keep the ice broke up for the ducks. Well, he got out and he stepped in a hole over his boots. When he did, he started getting cold and he complained enough that his brothers finally said, okay, fine, let's go home. Luckily for us. So they left their area and started out of the chute, which had, they had to come right by us within two or 300 yards. And, and as you would do, when you do that, you always look back up in the, the chutes off the river to see if there's ducks or anything in there. And they saw all that smoke. So they fortunately came up there to investigate that and knew whose boat it was. And they pulled up and we were all clinging to trees. Well, there was one gentleman that was, he, he was a little younger than I am now. And he had recently had the flu. And he decided he would be better off if he climbed out on the tree because he thought the water was too cold. And, and let me say to all of the listeners that no, you can you guys talked about the guy in the water, uh, Tony's capture. No, you can survive the water. You cannot survive the, the air if you're wet and cold. So stay in the water as long as you can. Don't get up in the air because hypothermia will get you, which is exactly what happened to that gentleman. Hypothermia got him and he died. So, and then fortunately we all, we all got rescued went back, went to the hospital, had ourselves checked out. A couple of us had water in our lungs that showed up on the x-rays they took. So they kept us overnight and the next day we all got to go home and, and live another day and, you know, chase another duck. <laughs> so, so did you, did you end up with, uh, did anybody end up with, uh, frostbite or anything like that? No, the worst thing that happened to any of us is when we, when we finally saw that the, the gas didn't explode and the bullets didn't go off, they just, they melt, they melt, the ends of them melt and then they just pop, you know, just the uh, caps will pop. Well, we realized that. So we, some of us made our way back to the boat, but the mistake we made is grabbing the chicken wire to try to climb up on the blind. One boy did get up on top of the blind and, and it was kind of lucky because he was able to scream and holler and wave at uh, the boys that came out of behind us and got their attention. But uh, yeah, we, we climbed, climbed, tried to climb up on the side of the blind on that chicken wire and uh, we got, we got a few burns and stuff. Yeah. So I still I got some, numb one of my fingers over it, hmm. but I, I'll live with that. So the, that was when in, so my grandfather had a green boat, and then after that, uh, I don't know if he bought one. He didn't buy, buy one right away. Uh, uh, he bought a brown boat. Yeah, right? is that about, right? It was about six months later. He finally gave up and said, "I'm going to go back hunting again." So yeah, because that was his best friend. He lost, and uh, so he got yeah, he got a gold one, which I still have. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the one yeah. that we he used to take up. Uh, I think I fished out of that yeah, junk we, fishing. We took that one to Lake Michigan several yeah. times, yep, which is another story I can tell you guys later about. <laughs> don't go out on Lake Michigan in 30-mile-an-hour wind. No, that's very much like 30, Tony's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it produces 30-foot waves, and I can tell you from experience. Yeah, I, I went out on Lake Michigan one time with with uh, my grandfather. My, I think Nanny went with us, my grandmother. Yeah, yeah. And my mother and my brother and it took my mother, I think, three days to get over the seasickness. It's like getting yeah. in a washing machine and just somebody just or, or putting putting a bunch of water in a big old tub and three or four people just shaking it back and forth. It's not like waves. It's like 
waves coming from it's 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 more like road yeah. waves all the yeah. time. Yeah. I, a real quick funny piece of that story I'll tell later if you want is that daddy, you know, you knew your granddaddy was not going to give up no matter <laughs> what. And I told him all the big boats are gone, all the 40 and 50 foot yachts <laughs> they're gone in. Why are we out here? And he said I'm going I'm not going to catch a fish today and I promise you we hooked a fish and the fish went by us above us. <laughs> That's a God's truth, so help me. In a wave? Yeah. He was yeah. in the top of a wave. <laughs> yeah, it's time to go then. <laughs> yeah, it was time. Well, we just got the boat out of the shop the day before because it had an electronic problem. Nice. That's how determined he was. He was not going to give up. Is that? But I it, guess that's where I get that from. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably is. Blessing and a curse. <laughs> well, that's, that story, Bo, is probably a little closer to me than it is to anybody because, I mean, mm -hmm. we would get bits and pieces of it. And, you know, when we would come to visit, we would get a little more. I'm sure there's probably still things that we don't, that I don't know about, but. Oh, Lord God. Yeah. That's. Yeah. Uh, so talk, talk just a second. I don't, I want to circle back around to the gas tank thing because mm -hmm. the gas tank should blow up, right? Yeah, I've seen that on they, TV. You would think they would, but when you when you've got gas tanks, when my dad had those gas tanks in his boat, he was always prepared to hook the next one up because in the middle of the Mississippi River, you don't want to run out of gas and then trying trying to figure out where's the hose and get it unhooked and get it rehooked. So he always had hook, hoses hooked up to his gas tanks. Well, what happens in the, in that situation? The rubber on the hoses melt before anything will happen, especially in that fire, because it was a big fire. And when it does, then the gas will shoot out the end of that fitting, just like a propane tank. So there is no compression. It's, it's relieving itself the whole time. Right. Said, then the bullets, the, the shotgun shells, the plastic melts off of them, and all the shot rolls out on the floor to melt in a big blob of lead. And all the little caps start popping off. Right. Okay. Yeah, it was kind of crazy when it all happened. We was like, well, I'll be darned. You know, we didn't have to jump out after all. We could have we could have fought the fire inside. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that though. But but yeah. like you said, he had those hoses hooked to those tanks. Right, right. Pre pre before he ever put them over in the boat. Right. Or after he got them in the boat. One of the two. But yeah. he, it I wasn't like got two in the gas cans sitting there. Put, put the lines on. Yeah. Once he got them. Oh, yeah. So that that's a little different than I've got a five gallon ga can of gas that's just getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and mm -hmm. it's closed off. But if you got, if it's got a way to escape, that's what it did. Okay, that makes yeah. that makes sense. So, uh, so like I said, five people left that day, and four four came back. Just four came back. Yeah. Let's talk about lightning. I've always wondered what's the right call in lightning. Uh, in a lightning storm, a is don't leave the ramp, or don't, yeah. don't don't go out. That's really the the best thing. But if you get, and I've been caught out in lightning where it's a fifty percent chance of of rain today, and then you know, mm -hmm. in the spot that I just happen to be floating through, it's a hundred percent chance of a terrible lightning storm. Uh, but they don't tell you that on on the weather, and none of the weather apps said it either. This one particular day I'm thinking about, but you know, do you get out? If you're in a river and Tony, your situation is just maybe a little bit different. Actually, all of our situations are a little bit different, 
but do you get out if you're on the river do you get out and go under trees well that doesn't make a lot of sense but also sitting out on the river in a lawn chair doesn't make any sense sitting in a boat you know with a push pole that's 20 20 foot uh made out of graphite that doesn't make a lot of sense or carbon fiber what is the right call you know i think for you know, we all have we all have different situations. I think the the, the right call is, is 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 probably the same for everybody, and that's to be as conservative as possible, in my opinion. Um, you know, you talk about the push pole, and you know, I, I I like to fish. I like to fish hard, and you know, but in doing what I do, I like to fish to my client's comfort level. And so, if they're fine with fishing in the in the rain, then I'm I'm good with that. But like we've we've talked about in the past. I tell them that the person holding 20 feet of, of graphite is the one who gets to make the call on, on lightning. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate in what I do. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it when it comes to weather, but um, I think as far as uh, my field of view, I get to, I get to see for the most part, 360 degrees around me. I can, I can watch I have cell phone service the entire time. So I can watch weather radars and, and sort of get a, a good idea on what, what things are going on so anytime anytime i can see um lightning off in the distance or hear that thunder you know i'm i'm starting to make my way back to the landing um you know a lot of times though those those storms um you know every time i, I launch you know I, I, I pretty much for the most part i'm always heading east to to go fishing um a lot of those storms come to the west so you know it's it's usually kind of racing that storm back to the to the landing but you know it's just it's just kind of the thing that that we've got to do but i will say i've been in in, in a situation out there where um there's definitely a black cloud around kind of blue skies around that black cloud and i have seen lightning that appear to be coming from from the blue sky and not not the black cloud i mean it's lightning is really unpredictable i mean you can you can see lightning strike and then count to the thunder all you want but i'm here to tell you i don't it, it, it's not that simple yeah that's that's a general rule of thumb of get out of there yeah <laughs> if you're if you're having to count it's probably a good time to leave yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> cody how about you what about lightning for you well i mean we do get some severe storms here and there uh down here but by and large uh wind is more of that danger factor for us than lightning um we don't get near the lightning storms that we used to get when i was living out west um though we do get some lightning here and there but being that we're in the you know dense woods um we're in the mountains we're not you know the highest point out on the middle of a lake or in the in the in the ocean it's not something that we are as concerned about but if it is close because being in the mountains you don't really get a good visual of what's you know 15 20 miles away it's on you by the time you see it exactly. so thankfully with the way that we guide we're not usually too far from from where we park you know you know unless we're doing a backcountry trip or something so, you know, our, our plan is to usually if it starts to get severe, we go back to the truck, you know, we wait it out or, you know, if it, if it's going to be something that is persistent, we'll just, we'll just, you know, plan for another day. But, you know, I, I could be wrong. You know, I, I don't know the, whether lightning would prefer, uh, an eight and a half foot graphite stick over, a you know, 
80, 90 foot tall tree or, you know, a, a thousand foot mountain. But I, I feel like we're not in the position where we're going to be the the tallest thing out there and quite the target. Now, wind, on the other hand, if the wind picks up and usually that happens before lighting is even really much of a factor for us, we're headed back because we have big mature trees up there. Uh, we've got a lot of dead hemlock. There's that woolly uh, algalid that's been killing a lot of the hemlocks around here. So there's a lot of potential for deadfall, um, a lot of potential to basically have trees over the road and get trapped up there. But you definitely don't want anybody getting knocked out or worse by a falling limb. So, you know, we seek shelter when the wind starts picking up. And that usually, like I said, is before lightning is ever really that much of a factor. So, but when, we, when we've got our spring rains, you know, usually there's not a lot of wind accompanied by that. Um, we'll get a little lightning here and there, but unless it just gets real severe, we may reel up and sit on the bank and wait it out. But, you know, we're, we're not racing back to the shelter, so to speak. So I think one of the things to be aware of is the wind, the, the front, when it gets there, if, unless you're just in the middle of it, that front's a good time to say, to start thinking about your decision. Should I stay yeah, that, or should I go? That's your early warning right there. At least for us and our part of the, our neck of the woods, it's really when that wind starts picking up, you know, those trees start bending overhead. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take much convincing to get people back to the truck. So, and if it's been, so if it's been raining a while, I've been, I've been on the river when it's been raining like consecutive days. And, mm-hmm. and this was kind of middle, middle-ish of winter, cold wind was blowing a lot. And all of that saturation will blow one of those trees over. And we'd heard yes. a couple of this particular day falling you know, one in particular fell on the side of the river, on the riverbank, kind of up a little bit on the side of the hill. And I was like, wow, that was a whole tree. You know, you could tell it's a yep. whole tree. It was not just a branch falling off. It was a whole tree. And later, as we were rowing down, trying to get out down the left bank, a tree fell across, not the whole river, but from the left side of the river where we were rowing out toward the middle. If I'd have been probably 15 seconds later, uh earlier uh, a little further down the river we would have got ko'd by a tree that was probably about this probably about two inches around completely rotten completely dead but it the ground was so saturated that it just blew it over so you got to watch out for that too which is like you say that's something that you would be worried about cody and i, I now i do too you know i don't row down the side of the bank anymore i row out in the middle and just tough it out as much as i can yeah it's definitely something to be worried about or to be aware of, not worried about it. Worried, worried is the wrong word, but aware of. You need that, to be aware. Yeah, yeah, it's a possibility, and and that, like you said, that is that is common, almost expected. That if we have several days of sustained rain, especially if there's any wind on top of that, um, you know, it's it's steep, rocky, thin soil, and it does not take much to loosen those trees up. And a lot of that happens uh, in the in the dead of summer because we get a lot more severe storms that kind of blow through and, and, you know, for an afternoon and pass through. And if we've already had rain beforehand and that ground saturated and you got those trees that are fully leafed out, you know, that's a, that catches a lot of wind and it's very common to have trees over the road after severe weather like that. So that's why, that's why one thing when we talked earlier is what I always carry a folding saw, you know, there, you hope that there's not a tree big enough that you, you can't move it, but there's a lot of smaller trees that end up on the road and, you know, you can't move it by hand, but if you can take out a few limbs and get around, 
at least you're not you're not there waiting for you know for for service of the next guy to come up and and cut your way out so you know a little preparedness for stuff like that but that is that's definitely our something we're aware of anytime that wind picks up up here so is it the forest service that comes and clears the roads yeah yeah so i mean technically i think by their regulations or their rules you're not supposed to even move anything um without them being the ones to move it but i can tell you there's a lot of good old boys up here with chainsaws and and you know they're not going to wait around hours for the forest service because how are you going to contact them you know you know there's there's no service up there so it's either you know wait for hours and especially if you're if you're way back on some gravel back road that may dead end at whatever stream you're wanting to hike into or whatever it might be who knows the next time someone's going to be up through there maybe hours and hours and hours or maybe another day you know until someone gets up that way so yeah not every road leads to the green cove campground where they've got a payphone right for the payphone yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so green cove campgrounds up there and they've got a payphone maybe the only payphone in the whole country now but uh yeah there's people that'll take their kids up there just to see that old relic of a bygone era. I and, don't doubt it. You know, laugh at them while they try to figure out how to use the darn thing. So, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I have a story too. This happened since we last talked. I actually had a situation up there on the river. We, we've been guiding a lot the last couple of weeks and we've had some road closures. So we've had to take some back roads to get up and around towards the green cove on, on the river. And thankfully, this time, the clients and their local clients, they decided to uh, drive separate because we've been taking a lot of clients up in our vehicle as well. I've got a new Tacoma. I've got it, had it since August. And I got a topper on it. And it's a keyless entry. And um, for whatever reason, it's something with the way they they wired it up. If I walk around to the back uh, after I've opened that hatch, it'll lock itself. So you can kind of see where this is going. So long story short, ended up with the keys in my pack, which the pack was in the the bed. And, uh, you know, before I realized it was in there, it already locked itself. So we're up there on the river. And uh, thankfully, like I said, they drove they drove separate. Couldn't get the truck open. Uh, to add insult to injury, I somehow picked up, I punctured a tire on the way up there. So here's this flat tire. Here's this vehicle. I mean, it's looking abandoned, you know what I mean? Locked, locked up, flat tire. And uh, what's kind of humorous and what made me think about this too was that I said, well, you know, I know my wife's home and and I'm going to call her. She can come rescue me. So we go over to Green Cub to use the payphone, and, you know, modern problem. I can't remember my number. It's all <laughs> on my cell phone. So I had no one to call. I think I remember my, my parents' house phone, you know, because that's one you, you grow up memorizing. But yeah. Other than that, I tried two, three different numbers. Couldn't remember my wife's number, but thankfully we got. Since they drove, we got back down the mountain and stopped at the coffee shop, and they they had her number, so she came to the rescue. But so I, I hate to admit that, but you know, without getting it, be able to get to my truck, I couldn't even change the tire. So we had to get that spare. So from now on, it's something, and and you don't you you, you get comfortable with your surroundings, with your what you consider your backyard, and. You know, in fact, it's kind of humorous. You take clients up on these gravel roads and you see them just wide eyed, like, wow, we are out in the middle of nowhere. You're like, ah, yeah, I do this all the time. Right. And then it doesn't take long to either A, have a flat tire or B, lock your keys in or C, both. 
to realize that, oh crap, you know, I don't have any way to contact anybody. If these guys weren't here, it's at least a mile walk back to Green Cove from where we were at. It's a 16 mile walk back to town. Oh, wow. I mean, you're, yeah. And being with the roads closed, there's not a lot of people coming through. So, you know, you may have a long walk ahead of you at the very least. So really kind of hit home what we talked about before about being prepared. And I would recommend anybody that goes up there uh, or anywhere, you know, more remote, you know, just spend the five bucks and get a hide a key. And while you're at yeah. it, put, you know, your top three or four contacts, write their numbers down, put in that hide a key. Cause <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's a, a modern, idea. that's a modern problem. We don't remember numbers yeah. like we used to. So true, true. But the coffee shop apparently knows your wife's number. That's yeah, good. She I works, mean, that's small she town. Yeah. She works there <laughs> once in a while. So Cheryl's the one who runs it. I borrowed her phone and I was really worried that my wife wasn't going to answer because she thought Cheryl was going to want her to come into work. <laughs> so <laughs> thankfully she nice enough. She answered and, and, uh, it wasn't long. I just enjoyed a nice hot coffee on the house. While, oh, nice. Well, while, while I waited for her to pick me up and we all got a good laugh out of it. Cause you know, what can you do but laugh? So, so what, what do you think a phone call costs at the green cove telephone? Is it still a quarter? You think I can tell you it was a dollar. At least that's a what dollar. they asked. Yeah, they asked for a dollar. Dang. So I don't know. I don't when when I so I I entered the number, uh, which you know we as you know, uh, Dave, we're from well, my wife's from South Dakota originally, and I was out there for years. She still has that six zero five number. So that's what oh, I tried okay. dialing. It wasn't the right number, obviously, but uh, I don't know if it's because she had an out of state phone number. If a local one would have been less, but it requested a dollar. I know that much. So, so keep some quarters in your hide a key too with your key. Yeah, keep some quarters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're going yeah, to you green, get a, if you're you going to get a big hide. Yeah, you're gonna have a big hide a key by the time you get everything you need in there. <laughs> get the deluxe size. Oh god! Give you a piece of advice: is write them on a piece of paper and put them right behind your driver's license in your wallet. Yep, That's in your wallet. Good yeah. Yep, good yeah. idea. Yep. You know, I still remember my grandparents' phone number. Yeah, isn't yeah. that crazy? I don't. I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. But I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Bo, you got any parting words of wisdom on lightning? Yeah. Well, back in my younger day, and I, I unlike you guys, we didn't have cell phones and stuff, so we had to depend on Channel Five News, and it it was at best subject to error. But yeah, we'd watch the news at night, you know, and see what the weather was going to be tomorrow and it's going to rain or it wasn't going to rain, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I accidentally, one day I went out and it wasn't supposed to be bad, but I'm kind of like, uh, uh, Tony that you can see a pretty good ways across the river into what into Arkansas, which is where most of our weather comes from too. Well, everything looked good when I left the ramp and it wasn't, but about 20 minutes up the river to where my trot lines were and I was going to run. And I got up to the, to a, a, a rock dike where my lines were tied out and I was running my trot lines and, and I looked up and you could see that gray cloud coming across the top of the trees that wasn't there when I left. And it didn't take that gray cloud, but about maybe 15 minutes to get across that river. But it, what I didn't realize is that was a front to the storm and that front had lightning all in it. Mm. And I was running my lines and I was probably less than 30 or 40 yards off the edge of the dike running the line down. 
and lightning came out of that cloud and struck a big old uh, uh, telephone pole that they have sitting in the middle of the dikes to hold the rocks in place. It, it fried that pole. I got as low in my aluminum boat as I could get and got the crap down. I took off down the river. I left the line, didn't go back and check them that night or anything. I, I said, no, that was, that was close enough for me. Cause I mean, wow. it was, it was smoking when I left. Mm. Yeah. I've seen the remnants of trees getting just. Yeah. Obliterated. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I've gotten caught out on the river several times at night, you know, catfishing and a storm came in and, you know, like, like Cody was talking about in a previous conversation we had about the, the hail and the rain beating you to death. Well, I was out on the middle of an open sandbar and the hail and the rain and the lightning almost got me that night. I, I didn't, after that, I didn't go out if there was any kind of weather coming. I said, no, that was enough. Lesson learned. Yeah. I can buy fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll end this on a weather saving my day. And I don't, I was telling somebody this week, actually, I was out. And I was telling my clients, they were like, hey, tell us a story about uh, somebody that, a trip that didn't go well. I was like, well, you know, they all go pretty good. And they said, surely you have a client that you don't like, that you didn't like. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've had one out of hundreds, hundreds of people that I've fished with. And I've had one. And I think the reason why I think that is, is I think because people that hire guides tend to maybe have an income that they can afford to do that. But that also means that generally speaking, they also have the ability to get along with people, but there's one in every crowd. So yeah. I had spent a day, I had two days with this, this gentleman and I had fished with him before, but it was probably 10 years prior. And I kept thinking, what, what is it? I can't remember what it was about this guy. I got that feeling, you know, always trust your gut. <laughs> so I didn't. And uh, I agreed. I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take you, but we can't go on the rivers because the rivers aren't fishing good. There's a lot of generation, blah, 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 blah. You know, it was about this time of year, actually, maybe a little bit before. And I said, why don't we just, I've got some, some access to a couple of bass lakes and we could go up there and catch some bass on the fly. And and this guy was all for it. He was a hundred percent for it. So we, we made the set the dates and we go up there. And the first day he kept trying to argue with me about two things. Politics and religion. He just kept wanting to, he kept on honing in on those two. No matter where the conversation ended up, it, it ended up of politics in his way or religion in his way. And let's just say we didn't see eye to eye on any of that. And, <laughs> you know, me and him on a boat on a 50 acre lake, I mean, you'd probably go to jail for what, what, uh, what I was probably thinking. <laughs> anyway, so I was thinking, oh gosh, I got a whole other day put up with this guy and like i say out of hundreds of people he's the only one so i don't think it's me could be but i don't think it is no so no so he so he says uh you know he can't wait for tomorrow and he caught a really really nice bass he probably caught 40 bass that day i mean a bunch it's it's a bill dance lake so there's a lot of bass in there but since there's a lot of bass there's a lot of 13 inch bass you know but there was one really nice fish and he didn't think it was a big deal. Of course he wanted to catch a bigger one. So tomorrow's going to be a better day. And I'm thinking tomorrow afternoon can't get here quick enough. 
So I'm I'm watching my phone that night and I'm seeing this front. They're talking about front coming in at 12 noon, high noon tomorrow. I was like, oh, please, please, Lord, please let it come in. <laughs> so I uh I get him out there, we launch the boat, you know, I park the truck. We we make a kind of a circle around one part of the lake. And I kept telling him, I said, Hey, um, you know, if the weather comes, we're gonna have to go. And he's like, there's not a cloud in the sky, David. It's not going to come. We got all day. And I kept saying, no, no, they're saying it's going to come around noon. Well, I kept looking back to the west where it was supposed to cut coming from. And I'd look over the trees and didn't see nothing but blue sky. And I was thinking, if y'all weather guessers are wrong this time, I'm never going to believe you again. So <laughs> anyway, we, we keep fishing and he's catching fish and he's still not happy. And he still won't talk about politics and religion and He's just wanting to argue about it. He's not wanting to talk about it. He's wanting to argue about it. And I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. I'm just not, I'm not, I don't, I don't have it in me. I don't have the time or the, or the patience to argue about that. I have plenty of time and patience to talk, but not argue. So anyway, he, he kept saying, that's clear. We're going to get in. We're going to get in the full day today. And I was like, Oh Lord, please. And I looked over his shoulder. I'll turn around and looked at him one time to, to, to tell him something. And, or I, I, I looked up, sorry. I looked up to tell him something and I saw this little black cloud just on the tip of the trees. And it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen, I think, in all my days of guiding. And I said, I think there's a storm coming. He's like, no, he's looking back. He's like, no, it's not. It's all blue. It's perfect day. Wind's picking up a little bit, you know, that front we were talking about starts coming in. And that black cow just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm like, all right, this is fantastic. We're going to get off this lake. So I said, hey, you know, you start seeing a little bit of that, hearing a little bit of that rumble, you know. And I said, we got we got to get out of here. And I was thinking, the weather's going to save me. So I start rowing. I'm rowing like crazy. And it's not easy to row this row drift boat forward across the lake. But I was making pretty dang good time, if I do say so myself. I get to the ramp, and by that time, it's just starting to rain, like big old drops, too, you know, size of a penny. And I run up, you know, it's it's a pretty good ways to the truck up this little gravel road. So I'm running, you know, I'm I'm fifty something years old. I'm running like crazy. I bet I look, I bet I look goofy. But anyway, I get to the truck, and by that time, I mean it's starting to come down, and twice as much as what it was whenever I got out of the boat. I'm run up, drive up there and I back down to the boat and I get him in the truck. Cause he's a little older. He can't move real fast. I get him out of the boat without getting him wet. You know, he didn't have to step out into the water. He just stepped right onto the little gravel ramp there. And I got him in, got him in the truck and got set down. And I mean, it came, the bottom fell out. It went from penny size rain to quarter size rain and just as hard as it could rain. I mean, it's just, it's filling the boat up me trying to uh crank it up onto the onto the trailer and you know it's getting heavier and heavier now it's got rain water all in it i get it up there and let start letting the I un take the plugs out you know and some's filling it up and it's draining out at the same time and i'm thinking i gotta get the i gotta get the cover on it so i pull up and put the cover on it because we got to go a pretty good ways down a gravel road and i didn't you know i didn't want to bounce around getting rocks on stuff all over it and I get the cover on it. As soon as I get the cover on it, it stopped raining. <laughs> the front took off. I mean, it cleared out. 
I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, if it comes back, we'll be in trouble. Let's get out of here. <laughs> so the weather saved me that day, but that may be the only time in my whole career that the weather, that I was glad to see a storm coming, but boy, was I glad that day. Goodness. I was glad. Like I say, out of the hundreds of people that, that, uh, I've guided and, and most of them I've become friends with. That's the one time that I was like, this cannot end fast enough. So <laughs> I think the weather, I think the weather for that one, that, that, that one turned out the way I, I wanted it to. So <laughs> anyway, on that note, y'all want to close this thing out? Absolutely. Whenever you're ready. All right. Well, let's do that. I certainly enjoy. If you find value in the podcast, share the episode with of the podcast with your friends and your fishing partners. Drop by the Southeastern Fly Store and pick up a hat or a t-shirt, and the uh, profit from that goes to making more of these episodes. So who were our guests today? First guest is a longtime inshore captain. Uh, he fishes out of Beaufort, South Carolina. He was a guest on episode 44. Uh, he books, books his trips out of Bay Street Outfitters in Beaufort. Tony Welch, Captain Tony Welch, thanks for stopping by, man, again. Yeah, thanks so much. I, I really do appreciate it. Yeah, it's a good time, and I still have to get over there and fish with you. I know that. I just haven't. It's it's crazy. Let's just put it that way. That's probably <laughs> the easiest way to put it. Second guest, uh, owner of Telco Outfitters in Telco Plains, Tennessee. I don't remember which one, which episode were you on, Cody? You were on episode 51. That's what it was. Uh, guest on episode 51. We've had, actually, you two, Tony and Cody, we've had such good reviews off of your episodes. People that fish with me, they talk about you two in particular quite a bit. And I'm not saying they re they really do. They have good things to say about, about y'all. They don't have much good to say about me, but they say good things about y'all on those episodes. So, uh, but anyway. I, do, I, do hear, I do hear quite often have people come in and say they've heard the podcast, so. That's yeah. really awesome. I appreciate that. Appreciate yeah. you taking time to talk to me then and, and now too. Yeah. Well, Cody, I really appreciate you stopping by and, uh, and I look to come over there. I haven't been over to your shop yet. I've been to Telco a lot, but I bet you it's been seven, eight, nine years, something like that. But, uh, but it's changed a lot since then. Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure that I'll have something, something, some different things to see over there, but Cody Fisher really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Like I said, I've known this guy since I guess the day I was born, and uh, he's my my uncle, my only uncle. Fishes from uh, fish the Tennessee River or the Mississippi River quite a bit, and all the lakes around uh, Millington, Tennessee, and and Shelby Forest. And uh, Bo, I really wanted to get this this out there because that's in my mind a lot. That whole series of events is in my mind a lot, and it even though it wasn't fishing. Thanks for all the fishing information, by the way, that you did drop and. And the knowledge of someone that's been in the woods and on the water as much as you have. Really appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, I've certainly enjoyed it. And, and uh, I've enjoyed listening to Tony and Cody and their experiences. Because uh, everybody has a little different environment, a little different situation. But uh, it, it all is about what we've talked about tonight is you can't have enough safety no matter what you're doing and where you're at. Absolutely. You just listen to a Wisdom of the Guides. It ain't Disneyland on Southeastern Fly. See you next time.